And are we really talking about this? Is this uh? No, did you just, did you update this? Nope, nope. Just skip over. Pretend <laughs> it's not there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forget that that's. I'm gonna like put it in red t- text or something. everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm todd mack and i'm joe Dorowski. and this week we're talking about jin wang from the graphic novel american born chinese written by jean luen yang and published in 2006 how are you doing todd i am well i am i've got the kids for the weekend my wife well my wife took the youngest and went away for a little bit <laughs> Uh, and I've got the three oldest and we went swimming today and it was fun. And, uh, I read American board Chinese while they swam. Hopefully they are quite worn out as one of the beauties of water with young children. Yes. It takes a lot of, a lot of energy. Yeah. They, they tried to put up a fight, but, um, they weren't much. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen, I've seen far worse, uh, nighttime battles. As we said, we were talking about American Born Chinese, which is uh, really three stories that kind of end up interconnecting. There is the story of the Monkey King. There's the story of Jim, uh, Jin Wang, who is a second generation child of Chinese immigrants and uh, kind of an adolescent in junior high age uh, and some of his experiences. And then there's the story of Danny, who is a white American boy of about the same age as Jin Wang. And uh, this... Uh, as would not be surprising with the name American Born Chinese, uh, deals with uh, kind of being uh, a child from a different culture in a predominantly uh, you know American culture world uh, with parents who are still holding on to some of the Chinese culture and, and some of the conflicts that arise from that. All right. That sounds interesting to you. Uh, we recommend that you check out this book. It's great. You can pick it up on Amazon by going to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon, and uh, you can purchase it there, uh, and along with all of your other Amazon purchases, and we appreciate your supporting the show that way. So Todd, how did you come to American Born Chinese? Uh, Well, I do this podcast, and it's called The Protagonist Podcast, (laughs) and I have this friend who knows a lot, a lot about graphic novels and comics, and he recommended it, and so I picked it up and uh, read it today, and it's great. (laughs) Well, I first... uh came to it, this was published in 2006, and it was one of those graphic novels that breaks out of the world of just people who talk about comic books and graphic novels. It was up for several awards, besides just Eisner Awards, which is usually the domain where people recognize good comics. Uh, we'll get to some of that in the trivia. But because it was getting so much press, I picked it up shortly after it was published in 2006. Read it then, loved it, and it's been on my shelf since then, and I have not reread it. But when we started this podcast a couple of years ago, it was it's been on my radar from that day one of like, oh, that's a graphic novel we're going to discuss eventually. And now episode number 124, we are getting to it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I feel like I've seen the name around and I'm sure it's just because it's been on our schedule and it's probably been kicked back a few times, but, uh, but yeah, I'm glad we got to it. All right. Well, before I jump into some trivia, we would just like to thank all of our supporters on Patreon who make this show possible. If you would like to support us as well, you can go to patreon.com slash protagonist and pledge your support. Uh, what happens is you say how much you'd like to donate and it's a monthly donation. Uh, you can go with $1 a month or up as high as you would like to go. And we really, we don't put a cap on how how high (laughs) anyone could go in supporting us. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and all patrons who support us with $5 per month, uh, or more, they get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And we just, we like putting this out there, and we hope that we're giving you a weekly hour of entertainment, maybe a little plus. And so if it's worth a quarter a week to you for what we give you, please, we, we'd we love it if you would donate just a dollar a month on Patreon. All right, some uh, trivia about American Born Chinese. It won... Uh, several awards it won the 2007 eisner award for best graphic album and a michael l uh, prince award i don't actually know what that one is but it won it uh it was a the san francisco chronicle book of the year uh and it was a finalist for the 2006 national book award in the category of young people's literature and then lots of 
Uh, media, when they were doing year-end kind of roundups, it was recommended uh, as, um, you know, uh, something to consider uh, as, as some of the best work of that year. As we said, this was um, written and drawn uh, by Gene Lewin Yang and producer Andrew. You want yeah. to give us a little trivia about Gene Lewin Yang? Since you are the one of us that has a book signed by him. Uh, yeah, he is currently, or at least uh, was at some point in the last couple of years, uh, something, I don't know, I don't even know exactly <laughs> the title, but he was the ambassador on young, uh, for, for young readers from okay. the, was it the United Nations or the Library of Congress? No, it was in 2016, the U.S. Library of Congress named him ambassador for young people's literature. That's what it was. And uh, I got a copy of his, his uh, I think, second collection, Boxers and Saints, uh, signed when he was at the Orem Public Library as part of that tour uh, shortly after he started doing that stuff. Yeah, and he also is uh, a MacArthur Fellow. He, he received a MacArthur Fellowship, which is very it's, nice <laughs> award to <laughs> receive. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. He's in, he's in good company. It's also called the Genius Grant, the MacArthur Fellowship. So if you're receiving or even consideration for MacArthur Fellowship, you're at the top of your field. Um, a, a name people may have heard of, of someone who has, has won that, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes. Uh, just real quick, I'll read from Wikipedia what the MacArthur Fellowship uh, does. Again, it's often called just a genius grant. It's a prize awarded annually by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, typically to between 20 and 30 individuals working in any field who have shown extraordinary originality and dedication in their creative pursuits and a marked capacity for self-direction. Uh, you do have to be a citizen of the United States. According to a fa- the foundation's website, the fellowship is not a reward for past accomplishment, but rather an investment in a person's originality, insight, and potential. So it's looking at, like they're trying to fund your, your future efforts, really. And the current prize is $625,000. Wow. Yeah. I would love for someone to fund my creative endeavors to the tune of $625,000. Yeah. Have any podcasters won? <laughs> we can make a heck of a podcast. <laughs> I mean, uh, we, I, could, we could make a very good podcast. I would go daily. <laughs> I'd be willing to go daily for $625,000, even if it is awarded over five years. Like okay, that's our next Patreon goal. Oh, At $600,000, we will go daily. <laughs> um, and uh, he's also, I mean, he, since his own works uh he's he's also done uh a few things here and there for for other publishers right now he's writing uh one of the handful of superman stories uh superman ongoing series for marvel com or not marvel for dc how for dare DC. i yes. how dare i get that mixed you're fired up. you're fired uh, uh he's he's <laughs> writing a, a superman story that is set in china mm-hmm. okay i just realized if we went daily i would have serious concerns about my ability to uh keep up with the reading. Todd, I'll just go ahead and say that we are under no danger of having to fulfill that promise we just made. <laughs> I like, didn't think you meant doing protagonists. I thought you just meant some sort of podcast. Uh, no, look. Uh, whatever... I mean, we'd be listening in Audible at like uh, like 10 times speed. <laughs> if someone wants to test our abilities to do it, I welcome the challenge. <laughs> challenge accepted. I mean, you would have four days to listen to the next novel yeah. and in those four days you'd only have to read a comic watch a tv show <laughs> and watch a film yep so you might be I able mean, to pull think it about off. it if we did it uh we'd be bringing in six hundred thousand dollars a month between <laughs> the, the three of us i think that would be uh i would i would, would do be that again <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't need to do anything else i we'd have... go for three months and retire i have <laughs> I have zero concerns about this ever happening to us. So, carrying on. <laughs> uh, we are going to be jumping in to this full spoiler synopsis, but we really do recommend this book. And so if you want to pause us and go get your hands on it, because it was uh, so well-received by critics and by library associations, I am willing to bet it is on the shelf at your local library. Or you could just go to patreon.com slash Amazon and make the purchase there to get a hold of this and read it, and we'll still be ready to provide a synopsis and some analysis after this. It's uh, it's 230 pages, but you can read this in probably two hours. I bet. One sitting. Yeah. yeah. I 
I remember when I first read it, I wasn't intending to read it in one sitting. And, and I did like, I was just like, Oh, let me, let me thumb through this. I've got, you know, a little bit of time. And then I was, I was done, you know, before I, I had even really thought about it. Okay. Uh, so as I noted earlier, there are three different storylines and I'm going to bounce through the storylines as they appear in order in the text. Uh, just a reminder, there's the story of the monkey King, the story of Jin Wang, who's really the protagonist. He's the one on the cover. He's the American born Chinese that is referenced. And then there's the story of Danny. All right, so we begin with Chinese gods, goddesses, demons, and spirits having a large party, but the Monkey King is not invited. Now, uh, I guess side note, as far as my familiarity with Chinese folklore or mythology, Monkey King was about all I had growing up. Like, I knew the Monkey King existed as kind of a trickster figure in Chinese mythology. My understanding is he is one of the, the larger figures within Chinese folklore. You know so, more about Chinese folklore than I do. That's what I know, right? We, now. I basically shared it. Yeah, we we had a couple of like children's books of the uh, of the, the Monkey, Monkey King, King stuff, and then he was featured in an episode of Wishbone. I'm suddenly remembering. What? Oh, Wishbone was such a great show. That was yes. Wish, Wishbone was the Monkey King. <laughs> if uh, any listeners aren't aware, Wishbone was a PBS children's show when we were growing up, uh, where a dog took on the central role of great works of literature. Uh, was a good so the, the dog was the Monkey King, and and it has not really been available to anyone since it aired. No, you can't get it on DVD. I tried for my dog. She had she really wanted to watch some Sherlock Holmes. I'm like, I bet. Wish oh, there was a great Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Uh, but I could not find it on DVD. It's it's just not out there. It does Somebody's exist on YouTube. Down. I will say. <clears throat> anyway, uh, <laughs> when, when possible, give the creators of the work a financial uh, due for for their creations. But Wishbone had some some good stuff. Yeah. All right, uh, so we have the Monkey King, and he is not invited to this party of all the Chinese gods and demons, etc. When uh, he just decides he's going to invite himself, though, but he's not allowed in because he is not wearing shoes. He insists that he should be allowed into the party, but he's told it does not matter if he's a king or a god, he is not going to be allowed into this party. So he fights everyone and wins and goes home. <laughs> Uh, and then there are two dark panels at the end of this short story, and it says, When he entered his royal chamber, the thick smell of monkey fur greeted him. He never noticed it before. He stayed awake the rest of the night thinking of ways to get rid of it. So as the monkey king, he lives inside a mountain that's, that has all these caverns where monkeys live, and all of a sudden he's being bothered by the monkeyness huh, of, of his life. All right, so now we cut to Jin Wang who is a contemporary uh, adolescent uh, Chinese youth uh, living in America. He tells us that his parents moved to San Francisco at about the same time, but the, his parents did not meet until they were in grad school. His dad is an engineer, his mom a librarian. He grew up near Chinatown in San Francisco, and he had a group of friends who all spoke Mandarin and who would come watch Transformers at his house and play with robot toys together. One day, a Chinese herbalist, this, this old lady, uh, she asks Jin what he wants to be when he grows up, and he says he wants to be a Transformer. And she says, <laughs> oh, I guess I, I, so at this point, I said he's an adolescent, but at this point, he really is like a younger kid, like five or six. She says, it's easy to become anything you wish so long as you forfeit your soul. Which, great line. <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of hard truth being dropped on that five-year-old Jin Wang. Jin's family moves when he is about in the fourth grade, uh, and where he moves to, there's only one other Asian student in his class, but they avoid each other because people start saying that they're going to be in an arranged marriage when they turn 13. In fifth grade, a boy named Wei Chen moves from Taiwan, and he is in Jin's class. At first, Jin does not want to be his friend. He doesn't want to speak Mandarin with the boy who is not yet comfortable with English, but then he sees the boy's robot toy, and very soon, they are now best friends. The third storyline is very different. Uh, it has very, uh, it has many tropes or stylistic elements of a 1980s television sitcom. So this is a comic book, but you see a laugh track being written in at the bottom of scenes where you're being told that you're supposed to be laughing at this. Um, I think there's also like applause uh, being written in as word, uh, you know, uh, words in the background of different scenes, and, and it's just tonally you're supposed to feel like this is a very highly heavily produced uh, sitcom. Uh, and it also presents, in a hyper-exaggerated and cartoony way, just about every stereotype of Asian culture imaginable. 
So Danny is a white American student who is having a study date with a girl he clearly has a crush on when his mom says that his cousin Chin Key is coming to visit. Danny panics. His cousin has buck teeth, yellow skin, squinty eyes. His luggage looks like Chinese food takeout containers. He's wearing loose silk clothes, and his hands are tucked into the sleeves. He has a long braid of hair. He speaks in a hugely stereotypical accent. Just think of everything wrong with Mickey Rooney's yellow face portrayal in Breakfast at Tiffany's and exaggerate it even further. <laughs> and that is Chin Key. All right, so that ends. So we now know that Danny has this embarrassing uh, Chinese cousin. Now we go back to the Monkey King. Uh, the Monkey King kicks out all the other monkeys from his mountain, and he meditates and masters more forms of Kung Fu. He exits the mountain, having transformed into a more human-like form, because he can change his very nature now. He receives a notice from the other gods, the ones that he beat up, that he has been sentenced to death. He declares that he is no longer the Monkey King that they are sentencing to death. He has been transformed into the Great Sage, Equal of Heaven. He goes and fights the gods who have sentenced him to death, and he wins again. An old man interrupts the monkey's beating of a god. <laughs> like, the monkey is just beating this god over and over and saying, what's my name? And the guy's saying, the great sage. And the monkey hits him again. What's, his, what's my name? The great sage. This old man says that he is Zeyo Zhu, and I may have mispronounced that. It is T-Z-E hyphen Y-O hyphen T-Z-U-H. Uh, and he created, this old man created all things. None of his creations are ever out of his reach. The great sage tries to fly away from this old man, but he cannot escape his stretching hand. Think like uh, Mr. Fantastic from Fantastic Four. Uh, just his arm is stretching outward forever. <laughs> uh, finally, the monkey flies all the way to the edge of reality, where he finds five gold pillars. So in this panel, there's just nothing but five gold pillars and the monkey standing on a cloud. That's what he was flying on. Uh, the great sage writes his name on one of the pillars and then releases himself on it to mark his territory, as it were. He flies back to Earth and finds the old man and says, I flew to the edge of reality. Where was your ever-present reach? The old man holds up his hand, and you see that the great sage's name is written on his finger, and his finger is wet. The great sage is still rude to him, so the old man buries the great sage under a mountain of rock where he is trapped for 500 years. All right, we cut to Jin. Jin develops a crush on a girl named Amelia. His friend, Wei Chen, says that in Taiwan, any boy in love with a girl gets laughed at. Uh, any boy younger than 18 who's in love with a girl gets laughed at. And Jin tells him to stop being a fob, which stands for fresh off the boat. And uh, it's a term that gets used a few times in this text about someone who is, is basically not Americanized. Wei Chen thinks about this and then starts dating Susie Nakamura. <laughs> He's like, you're right, I'm not in Taiwan. And so he immediately starts dating Susie. Jin notices that Amelia seems to like a boy with curly hair. So Jin goes and gets a perm. And I love the sequence. Because <laughs> uh, the panels show Amelia talking with this boy who has curly blonde hair. And then it's Jin walking home and he's got this mental image of Amelia looking at this boy. And then it's Amelia looking at the boy's hair and you just see the hair float. And, and the last panel is just the boy's hair floating in Jin's thoughts. Wait, like, this, is, this is the key to get Amelia. Amelia and Wei Chen have to stay after school one day to take care of some animals in the biology classroom, and they accidentally get locked into a closet in that classroom. Uh, eventually, Jin realizes that Wei Chen isn't there, and he goes and finds him, and they rescue them. Uh, he, Jin rescues them out of the closet, and then, goaded by Wei Chen, he asks Amelia to hang out sometime, and she says yes. All right, then we see Danny, uh, and his cousin Chin Ki is embarrassing him endlessly at school with many, many more stereotypes than I'm not going to list. Just all of them are on display. We <laughs> go back to the Monkey King story, and uh, there's a man named Wong Lei Sao So, who is a, a monk who is given a special mission by the gods to deliver three packages to the West. He'll be guided by a star on his journey. On his journey, he will find three disciples who will accompany him and protect him. The first disciple will be the Monkey King. Wong Lei So finds, him, finds the Monkey King, uh, still in his great sage form, uh, buried under a mountain of rock. And he tells him to turn back to a monkey form, and he will be freed. At first, the great sage refuses. But then some demons attack Wong, and the great sage transforms back into the Monkey King to attack the demons and save Wong. And Wong takes on the Monkey King as his disciple. We go back to Jin. Uh, Jin is asking Wei Chen to lie if Jin's mother calls asking where he is. Because uh, Jin is going to be out on a date with Amelia. Wei Chen never lies, but he finally agrees that he will do this. Jin takes Amelia to the movie on his bike. She's sitting on the handlebars as he pedals. At the theater, Jin realizes that his armpits stink. Because he sweated a lot. <laughs> 
Uh, so he cannot put his arm around her. So he leaves the movie to go to the bathroom and he rubs soap on his armpits. <laughs> then he goes back and puts his arm around her and she leans in. Leaving the theater, he sees soap bubbles on her shoulder and he panics that she's going to notice them. But she doesn't seem to notice it. The next day at school, the boy with the curly hair asks Jin for a favor. He doesn't want Jin to ask Amelia out again. Not because this boy likes Amelia, but because, quote, we're almost in high school, and she has to start paying attention to who she hangs out with, end quote. Uh, Jin is upset, but he does leave Amelia alone. He sees Susie Nakamura crying, and she says that a boy called her a chink, and she feels lonely and embarrassed all the time. Jin decides this is a good moment to, out of the blue, try and kiss her. She punches his right cheek. Wei Chen finds out what Jin did, and he confronts Jin, and Jin says some hurtful things. Then Wei Chen punches Jin's left cheek. That night, Jin remembers the old herbalist woman who said he could become anything if he forfeited his soul, and Jin wakes up as a white American student named Danny. The worlds have converged all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, but they're not done converging, because uh, Danny, you may remember, has his embarrassing cousin, Chin Ki. So Danny who was Jin, uh, goes to school and he sees Chin Ki dancing in the library and singing She Bangs and Embarrassing Danny. This is obviously a reference to William Hung on American Idol, who became a viral sensation by singing She Bangs, but really, um, I guess, representing a lot of stereotypes as he did so. Danny tells Chin Ki to go back where he came from. And when Chin, Chin Ki refuses, Danny punches him. Chin Ki counters with lots of stereotypical kung fu fighting, combining terms from American Chinese food with stereotypical aspects of Asian culture to name these attacks. If you recall, uh, we did a, a manga episode on um, Magic Knight Ray Earth. Oh, Magic Knight Ray Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Todd spent a good chunk of that episode reading off the names of all the kung fu moves that were used. Uh, and this one does something similar, but the moves that Chin Ki is fighting with are things like um, what Mongolian foot in the face yeah and oh, yeah, uh, Mushu fist and what is it uh, General Sohao's rooster punch how special kick in nards <laughs> picking strike three flavor essence hot and sour wet willy pimps rap Hunan style oh man <laughs> Yeah, uh, so yeah, it's just combining all these, uh, again, more stereotypes. Finally, Danny gets a punch in against Chinky, and he hits him so hard that Chinky's head pops off, and it reveals the face of... I was a little surprised when the head popped off, I have to say. The head just goes rolling off, and you see that underneath what was apparently a mask was the Great Sage, the Monkey King. The Great Sage, uh, so he's in his slightly more human form of the Great Sage at first, but then he reverts back to his Monkey King form, and he asks Danny to reveal his true form, and Danny transforms back into Jin Wang. The Monkey King says that since completing his journey to the West, uh, he has stood with Zai Yo Zhu, the old man who had trapped him, and he's become a disciple of his. He also explains that Wei Chen was really the Monkey King's oldest son. Wei Chen wanted to become an emissary, uh, of Zai Yosu, but he needed to pass a test of virtue first. His test was to live in the mortal world 40 years while remaining free from human vice. Wei Chen began to fail his test when he lied for Jin. Uh, and upon hearing that Zai Yozu considers humans to be the pinnacle of his creations, Wei Chen says that he no longer aspires to be his emissary because Zai Yozu must be a fool. Wei Chen has found humans to be, quote, petty, soulless creatures. And I assume that this is all after uh, his fight with Jin over Suzy Nakamura, uh, that his opinion of humans has become so negative. The Monkey King began appearing to Chin Ki, uh, as Chin Ki to Danny to act as a conscious for, uh, for really Jin, who's pretending to be Danny. It gets a little confusing here at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Jin, now that he's uh, back to being Jin, and he's talking to the Monkey King instead of to Chin Ki, he just says, what am I supposed to do? And the Monkey King says, I would have saved myself from 500 years imprisonment beneath a mountain of rock had I only realized how good it is to be a monkey. And then the story ends with Jin seeking out Wei Chen, who is now wearing a jogging suit, giant sunglasses, earrings, a big gold necklace, and is smoking. 
Uh, but he starts to take off some of these things as they have kind of a heart-to-heart conversation, and they talk about where they can get some good, authentic Chinese food at the end. Okay, well done. It does kind of get uh, murky at the at end. The end yes, yeah. and I remembered as I was reading, rereading it, I'm like, I remember being a little confused at the end, and it is still a little confusing uh, in terms of timeline. Like, when are these stories supposed to be taking place? What is the order of them? Uh, it, it definitely becomes more about... Uh, the moral or the theme of the story than about uh, the coherence of the story at the end, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Uh, So where do we go from here? Well, uh, the first thing I wanted us to talk about is uh, Transformers. (laughs) Because I love that... uh, So we we open with the Monkey King, but then when we see Jin as a kid, the first thing he's talking about is his toy transformer that he loves transformers. And this is one of those things that I appreciated more on a second reading than on a first. (laughs) Yeah. Because the first time I read it, I don't think I saw any significance in the transformer toy, but the second time I remembered enough of the plot to say, Oh, he's just laying it out right here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, it's the prestige. It's like you do you, it's all, it's all there from the very beginning. Yes, even, um, like, the second time through, when I was reading it, I noticed, um, like, Wei Chen, you find out, is a monkey. He's the child of the Monkey King. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, when he's helping uh, Amelia with the animals in the um, in the biology lab, there's a monkey and a lizard and one other, and he goes straight to the monkey, and, like, he knows more about the monkey than anyone else. Like, really? his connection with this monkey. Yeah. Like, well, he specifically said, like, uh, Amelia calls it, I think she calls it a girl. He says, no, this is a boy monkey. And he's just like, I think they're even touching hands, him, him and the monkey. And she says, how do you know that? And then she says, never mind. They, you know, they move on. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, there's even that little connection of, of him with the monkey in the, in the biology lab that I had, you know, completely missed the first time through. Mm-hmm. So um, Transformers. Yes. Transformers. And obviously like transformation is a very, uh, it's a presence in the text from, mm-hmm the monkey king on um, his desire to stop being a monkey and become more respected by the gods causes mm-hmm. him to, to undergo this transformation instead of being true to himself. Uh, and then Jin, you know, becomes Danny, the white American boy. Uh, but I think there's, there's something more universal about this than just saying, Oh, it's about, you know, the, the cultural other in this school. That's mostly white Americans. That's trying to fit in. I, th- I think there's something about adolescence and that effort to, to uh, transform yourself into, uh, you know, the what you think will be the most well-received version of yourself mm. uh, that resonates even if I don't know the specificity of being a Chinese, uh, you know, child of Chinese immigrants in a largely white American cultural school. I think there's something universal on why this graphic novel was so well-received and was recommended to young adult readers um, by so many organizations is that there's there's a universality to something that adolescents go through in in that idea of transformation. So I think one of the difficult things about talking about identity and especially identity in adolescence is that it's hard for people to know uh, what their true identity is when they're in high school. Uh, and it reminds me of the quote from The Incredibles when Buddy tells Mr. Incredible, you always say be true to yourself, but you never say which part of yourself to be true to. And then he says, well, I finally figured out who I am. I am your ward. Incredible boy. But, uh, <laughs> but that first part, um, you always say be true to yourself, but you never say which part of yourself to be true to. And um, I just I, – I think I, – I, I think that there can be a danger in just saying be true to yourself. And I, I think it's, it's easy for kids – uh, especially young people, but I, I don't think it's exclusive to adolescents to be like, I don't even know who I really am. I mean, I don't know what part of myself to be true to. Am I true to my, to the part of me that, um, the ethnic part of me? Am I true to the sexual part of me? Uh, am I true to the, uh, I don't know. I mean, there are different facets of our, of who we are. And who were, you know, being formed as when we're more young, and to just pick one of those aspects and say this is who I am, uh, I think can be really tricky. So, there's um, a series that I have not seen any of. I, I want to say I know there's a couple series that are doing this right now that are kind of like Twilight Zone esque, 
mm-hmm. uh, where they move. You know, each, each episode is kind of self-contained story. I think this one was called Black Mirror, uh, and I, so I haven't seen it. But the I've creator, heard of Black Mirror. yeah. But I, I read a, an article with the creator because I do that sometimes, where I read <laughs> things about the creators, things I've never seen, um, and he said. Uh, what he was talking about one of the episodes and they didn't even really give a plot description, but he said, well, one thing that just fascinated me that I realized is, um, that the world used to allow us to have different identities in a way that seems to be disappearing. And I wanted to explore that in this episode. And he's saying, I like, I used to have a work self. Like there, there was the version of me that was at work. There was a version of me that was with my wife and kids. There was a version of me that was with like my old high school buddies. And when I realized that these things were were so distinct as my wife once threw a party for me, a birthday party for me and invited everyone. And I didn't know how to act <laughs> like when everyone was there and he's saying today with social media, we're, we're flattening again, all of that. Like we're combining all of that where we have our friends on social media, our work friends, our old classmates, our family. And now we don't allow ourselves these separate identities. And I think, this is kind of getting at some of what, what you're saying. Like there are really separate versions of ourselves. There are separate things that are giving us motivations. There are separate uh, reactions that you have to the same event, uh, depending on which version of yourself you're kind of thinking of. Like, am I thinking of myself as a child of a parent who's worried that what I'm doing is dangerous? Am I thinking as an adolescent who's doing something that's kind of thrilling and exciting? Um, am I thinking of myself as a friend who's going to be embarrassed if I back down from doing this scary thing? Like all those emotions can be present in the same event. Um, and I think, a lot of those get heightened in adolescence in a way that we don't experience as much as younger children. And so that's why it gets focused on in a lot of storytelling. Uh, this, this, uh, you know, adolescence, this transition period is obviously its own like genre of, yeah. of, of stories is, you know, this transition point. And it's because it's a transformative time of life, but it's also the emotions get so intense, uh, at, at that point, because a lot of them being experienced for the first time, but also just, you know, hormones and changes are going to cause it to be more heightened than uh, anything you've experienced before. And also as an adult with hindsight, looking back, you kind of say, well, I could have tapped the brakes on some of the things I was feeling <laughs> and I would have been fine. But in that moment, that's not really an option because that's real. It's, you know, it's, it's what's being experienced. Yeah. I, I, one of the most interesting things about, um, identity for me is this i the the question of you know how how much of our identity is a choice and how much of it is not a choice <laughs> and i feel like uh, you know i've i've heard compelling arguments from both sides seems to me from uh, psychologists and social scientists that this is still just totally up in the air but um but you'll you'll see people on the one side say, you know, well, this is who I am. This one thing is who I am, and there's nothing I can do about it, uh, which gives us a very um, kind of con- like a like a concrete definition of identity uh, for somebody that's static. Uh, and then we have this other thing that says, no, identity is totally fluid, and you can kind of be whoever you want, whenever you want, and and and, and there is no. There is no real definition of identity. It's just kind of whatever you want to be. And genetics has nothing to do with it. It's just, just a choice. And and it, it seems like reality is somewhere in between those two, those two things where we're not a transformer that gets transformed into one thing and then we're just that thing forever. Uh, but we also, it seems, are not constantly, 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 constantly changing. Okay, this doesn't apply 100% to what you were just saying, but I had an insight while you were saying that, and it was okay. triggered by what you are saying. So I'm going to go down this, this path, and we'll see let's if we go, circle let's back. Let's go, let's go for it. Uh, we talked about how the narrative kind of becomes mushy for us uh, at the very end, as all these things kind of get combined. And I think what... Um, Jean Luen Yang is doing is he's transforming the narrative on us and it kind of causes some discomfort. Uh-huh. So we had these three storylines that were pretty like we knew what we were dealing with. Uh, the Monkey King was mythology. So we accept all the magic weirdness that happens mm-hmm. with mythology because we know that genre. The uh, Danny and his cousin Chin Ki uh, storyline is parody. And we know what to do with parody. We know this is exaggerating and it's making a point of the negatives of these stereotypes uh, and playing it 
Uh, like we're supposed to have the discomfort that we're experiencing and all those things. Like it, it works because it's parody. And then um, the uh, Jin uh, Wang storyline is our classic uh, straight, uh, natural uh, adolescent story of, you know, this is a kid who's in high school or junior high and we know what that, that story is and there's no magic or anything. And then in this final act, everything transforms and everything gets combined in a way that we are unfamiliar and uncomfortable with. And it's like, like you, I'm sure listeners, you felt this in my summary. I didn't quite know what to do in trying to describe how everything was happening there at the end, but it is just, it, it's a narrative transformation uh, that is mirroring all the themes that are happening within the, the graphic novel itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It's, uh, yeah, it is this, it is a transfer, it is a transformation at the end. And you go, and all these things what? that were distinct, like we know how those genres work, so it was fine. Like right. the, the graphic novel had magic, it had parody, and it had classic, uh, again, just natural storytelling for, for adolescent, you know, this, this kid in junior high school. And we were fine with all of those things existing in the same graphic novel when they were separate. It just got weird to us when they all got combined. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I like that. So is that a is that a flaw in the in the in the in the story? No, I don't or think it's a flaw. I, it... I think it's extremely deliberate, and okay. I think it's uh, like we're supposed to have that kind of confusion and discomfort at the transformation that the the very mode of narrative experiences there the at the fuck? end. There's something in the dust cover here that says. Uh, at the very very bottom on the on the inside of the dust cover, it says these three apparently unrelated tales come together with an unexpected twist in a modern fable that is hilarious, poignant, and action packed. Um, American Born Chinese is an amazing ride all the way up to the astonishing cl- climax, and confirms what a growing number of readers already know: Jin Yang is a major talent. So it's this, uh, yeah, miss what you're saying. I you mean, going back, three apparently unrelated things that come together in a kind of a strange way. Mm-hmm makes you question uh, the 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 part of this that doesn't totally come together for me is the dan the danny thing like early on mm-hmm. i don't know how that fits into the story i don't know if it's supposed to fit into the rest of the story as a like uh narrative like like if you're trying to say this is all one narrative there's the timeline of the monkey king in ancient times right then there it, it you'd say there's the jinn story and we're giving it parallel but really there's this transformation of Jin into Danny, and everything that we had for Danny is supposed to be happening after the Jin story, after his moment of transformation. Is that how, that's how you read it? That's what I would say. Like, if you're trying to turn this into a linear narrative, uh-huh. that's how it should be read. I don't know that we should <laughs> worry about the linearity. I don't know if we do that if it, if it really fits. I think, we, I think you just have to sort of accept that, mm-hmm. it, that it is the way that it is. There's some narrative hand-waving there at the end. Yeah. But I, I just real quick, going back, though... Um, the way you were describing something and it triggered that realization for me of what's happening in the third act. It made me like the third act more than Uh I used to, uh, just saying that, Oh, he's, he's really launching this into something new and different. The same way monkey King changes the same way, uh, you know, Jin, Jin changes and transforms. Uh, he's doing that with even storytelling itself. Yeah. So what's the, what's the message of this book? Uh, so the Monkey King, and I think this is the closest we get to like a summation of a moral. I don't think this is the only moral to be taken, and I really think we can trouble some of this moral, even as I'm, I'm about to read out the exact quote. But Jin asks the Monkey King what he's supposed to do, and the Monkey King says, I would have saved myself from 500 years imprisonment beneath a mountain of rock had I only realized how good it is to be a monkey. And so, on one level, this is saying, be true to yourself. And that is what we kind of see happen with with. Jin, he stops being Danny, the white American boy, and goes back to being Jin, and he seeks out his friend, who he knows he mistreated. But on the other, we you, you've already discussed how kind of hard it is to say, be true to yourself. Like, um, w- what does that really mean when we have all these different versions of ourselves always contained, uh, you know, within one being? So there's this, there's an article from the New York Times uh, by Mark Lilla. It's called The End of Identity Liberalism. And Mark Lilla is, I want to say that he's at Columbia or something. Uh, but it's, but a liberal, I mean, like a, like a, a hardcore progressive who is kind of looking at the, 
the Democratic Party and uh, the political left and saying, what in the world just happened post-election? And he says, one of the problems is actually the fixation on diversity. And he says, the fixation on diversity in our schools and in the press has produced a generation of liberals and progressives narcissistically unaware of conditions outside of their self-defined groups and indifferent to the task of reaching out to Americans in every walk of life. At a very young age, our children are being encouraged to talk about their individual identities even before they have them. By the time they reach college, many assume that diversity discourse exhausts political discourse and have shockingly little to say about such perennial questions as class, war, the economy, and the common good. In large part, this is because of high school history curriculums, which anachronistically project the identity politics of today back onto the past, creating a distorted picture of the major forces and individuals that shaped our country. Um, And it's it's kind of a sobering uh, look at... And and he's like 100% in favor of all of the good things that have come from a recognition of diversity and uh, and the you know pr- the the way that uh, the women have progressed and that minorities have, have progressed over the last uh, you know century or so, uh, but saying there's a real danger in in a fixating on diversity over uh, above and uh, above and beyond all other things. And B, uh, reducing diversity to one thing and saying, you know, I'm going to celebrate diversity. And so you have to, you know, diversity means gender or diversity means race. And he says, once you start doing that, then you either have to mention every single possible uh, form of identity or do none of them. Because if you do only some, then you're not being true to what to true diversity, and it becomes really, 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 really complicated. And you then then Fox News just makes fun of you because everything you say sounds stupid. <laughs> so he's sort of. I mean, I think one of the things he's talking about is you can get a long list of the different identities that you have to accept. Or um, acknowledge acknowledge, and so so commonly LGBTQ is is a, a list of letters that represents a certain number of identities. Sure. But there is the exhaustive LGBTQPPAAAIA, right? Which is you know covering all of the people that could theoretically want to be identified in that collection of, of letters yeah. until somebody else wants to be identified in that in a different way. So he says this, one of the many lessons of the recent presidential election campaign and its repugnant outcome is that the age of identity liberalism must be brought to an end. Hillary Clinton was at her best and most uplifting when she spoke about American interests in world affairs and how they relate to our understanding of democracy. But when it came to life at home, she tended on the campaign trail to lose that large vision and slip into the rhetoric of diversity, calling out explicitly to African-American, Latino, LGBT, and women voters at every stop. This was a strategic mistake. If you are going to mention groups in America, you had better mention all of them. If you don't, those left out will notice and feel excluded, which, as the data show, was exactly what happened with white working class and those with strong religious convictions. And uh, I just, I think it's, I think it's really important. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to diminish the importance of this book or minimize the importance of this book because I think it's really important. And identity will always be fundamental to adolescence. It's such a, uh, it's like, by definition, adolescence is trying to figure out who you are. Uh, but man, it is really, really complicated. And to just say, be true to yourself. Um, for the Monkey King, it's easy because he knows he's a monkey. <laughs> and <laughs> and in the in the context of this book, for Jin, it's also pretty easy because he he's saying, you know, you need to accept the fact that you're that you're Chinese, that you're Chinese American, and you need to uh, rather than reject the Chinese inside of you, which then turns into this parody, right? Like if you reject the shadow side, then it turns into this, this crazy thing. If you just accept it, then you can like peacefully coexist with it. Um, but 
but to just throw that out to teenagers, I think can be really, uh, really hard and have some potential, uh, adverse side effects that maybe we don't think about when we, when we just say, Oh, diversity, diversity is so great. And so just go be yourself. And we don't realize how much angst that can cause in some people because, because there are different pieces of their identity, uh, that, uh, express in different ways in different contexts. And, um, anyway, it's complicated. I mean, even the, the very sentence, like diversity is great. So be yourself. <laughs> there's right. kind of an oxymoron within that. Uh, cause it seems to indicate there's like a one essential aspect of you that you need to be true to. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, like, even as I'm identifying that quote as, like, the closest to moral, I, I don't think the book is, like, coming down to a simplistic moral message at all. Uh, like, for some of that mushiness of the, the final act is supposed to be saying, identity is really complex. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's no trite way to just kind of spell this out. Like, it, it ends on a final shot of uh, Jin and, uh, and his friend uh, leaning back and laughing inside of a Chinese bakery. Uh, is it, well, it has Chinese letters and then it says bakery cafe after it mm-hmm. and you're seeing them in the window of this. And I think there's a lot loaded into that image of the Chinese letters, the, uh, the words bakery cafe on the page before in the conversation, um, they're signaling that, um, Chewen is speaking in Mandarin and Jin is speaking in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, so like there's these different things. Uh, and even just then, like as we have these, uh, Chinese characters indicating that this is. Chinese uh, bakery cafe, as it says, they're talking about how this isn't the best Chinese food. Like they need to go to a little hole in the wall that's really <laughs> making authentic Chinese food. So I think like it's still ending on this kind of ambiguous note <laughs> about what you know what is even being represented in this final image here. Yeah, like uh, there's a multitude within it. Yeah, and I, I think I, I read something just today about the this African philosophy of Ubuntu that uh, I've talked about in other episodes, but it's the idea that uh, a person is only a person through another person. Or um, in so in African philosophy, uh, the, there exists this idea that when you're born, you have no identity, and that your identity is forged only through relationships with other people and with the world. And, um, and that there is no identity in isolation that you, you really aren't you, (laughs) you're only, uh, you only exist insofar as you relate with the world and especially with other people and that your, your identity is forged kind of through dialogue and interaction um, which is very different from like a Cartesian model that says, you know, I think therefore I am and, and my identity resides inside of my brain. And, uh, and I, th- I, I wonder if, uh, I mean, part of what's going on at the end of this is, is an expression of identity through relationship with his friends and this society that's around him um, and recognizing that, I think. Is it's it's one of the things that's going on. I think so, because um, he he had uh, in his transition to Danny, like he uh, pushed away his friends, like he mm-hmm. separated himself from that part of his his identity, and to want to become is like what the what the herbalist says. You can you can transform into anything you want as long as you're willing to forfeit your soul. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I, I mean I think there is there is kind of a way of you know, creating a, an identity for yourself, like ex Nilo <laughs> or just, uh, I don't know, sort of out of nothing. Um, and I, I think this book is saying that's not a great idea, yeah. <laughs> um, to try to just become the person that you want to be just because you, you want to be that person or you think that it will bring you happiness. Um, and especially if it means cutting off organ- real organic connection with the world uh, to, re- to create something that's totally unnatural um, is problematic. Um, one thing that I wanted us to make sure that we, we touched on um, is the character of Chin Ki and the like hyper-stereotypical performance that he has. Yeah. And it's not just that you're seeing all these negative stereotypes, which go back in American culture, um, 
a lot of the most negative versions of Asian stereotypes were extremely heightened during World War II uh, when we were fighting uh, against Japan. And we know, like, in America, there were Japanese internment camps. But, like, the pop culture of the time really demonized uh, the portrayal of Asians. You see it in comic books. You see it in radio shows. Uh, and a lot of those stereotypes are being being shown here. But there's also, and I found this interesting, um, the presence in Chin Ki of some of the so-called like positive stereotypes, mm-hmm. uh, where at, like at school he answers every single question, and there is a stereotype of Asians being extremely smart and uh, you know very learned and very good at school. Um, and he's especially math. Yeah, and um, it gets included in the stereotypes that Chin Ki is um, portraying, and I think that's valuable. Uh, and I think sometimes we get this idea of like, well, there's you know why would African-Americans complain about the stereotype that they're very athletic? Being very athletic is a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Why would Asians complain about the stereotype of being very smart and, you know, uh, successful at school when that, when that's a good thing. And I I think um, one thing that Yang is trying to demonstrate is that even positive stereotypes are stereotypes and, and they become, any stereotype becomes problematic because it becomes, you know, this, this very broad paintbrush that is, hitting an entire group that's really full of individuals. It's a bur- uh, It's a burden, right? You pick up a burden, yes. It's like um, this cousin, when Danny's walking around, this cousin is such a burden to him. Um, but even, like, uh, the stereotype of African-Americans being good at sports, there's some history of that being used uh, in negative ways that maybe we don't understand or think about much in the in the present context uh like I, there was someone i was with um named uh ben phillips in grad school future guest of the podcast i believe uh but he had done some work on this in grad school and he talked about one time with me that it's when uh boxing became integrated that you started to see a lot of sports writers talking about the natural strength and power of black boxers compared to white boxers Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's a positive thing. So what's what's the issue here? And, this, and boxing is one of the first, first sports to integrate. But what that actually does is it removes the value of a win from any black boxer. And it excuses any loss by a white boxer. Huh. And it actually makes any victory of a white boxer over a black boxer like more impressive, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it, in some ways, like these stereotypes are still devaluing uh, accomplishments, even huh. if in, in modern eyes and, and with uh, kind of unthinkingly, we want to say, well, it's a positive. So who's going to complain? Yeah. I think it's also interesting uh, or important to re- remember that um Chinky is is a like a projection of Danny's or Jin's uh subconscious, right? And so these stereotypes are kind of what society has imposed on him, but it's but it's more what he's created for himself. It's the, it's the, it's the demon that, that he's created in his own mind. But I, I think this gets back to like uh, an earlier point you made, like is, uh, is identity like inherited or is it projected onto you from society? And I think this, you know, this demon, as you said, is one has been formed by all these, uh, expectations and the mocking ridicule that he's received and you know things that are put onto him from the from the outside, not inherent to himself, but within the culture that he's growing up in. These are things that he's experiencing, and this is the worst form of those. But the, but they come out as the worst form only when he completely rejects it, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, I mean, it's it's very remember that Danny is Jin, right? It, like, right. It's, it's very Jungian in that. I mean, Jung says we have this this subconscious shadow. And it's our power. It's our powerful, creative side. Uh, but when we reject it, then it becomes violent and dangerous to us. And and this is exactly what's going on here with uh, with Jin is that when he rejects this part of his identity, this this Chinese part of his identity, then that part of his identity, which could potentially be really great for him, turns into this horrible, uh, like grotesque burden that he carries around that makes his life totally miserable. Um, and all really all he has to do is, is accept it as part of who he is and, and the, the weight and the grotesqueness of that sort of disappear. And it's just, it, it, he's able to assimilate it. it I, 
I, I do appreciate that you said it as a part of who he is, because that, yeah. that seems to be so much of this text is that there's parts of identity uh, that are undeniable. And like you're saying, rejecting them causes more issues than uh, resolving them uh, to doing it. But I, I do not think in any way, like uh, the end moral message is just accept this is who you are. It's accept this as a part of who you are. Right. And I, I mean, I just, I think sometimes when we talk about stereotype, we want to say, Oh, it's it's a uh, society has created all these stereotypes, and so that becomes a, a burden on us. And in some ways, that's true. And in other ways, I think what one of the things that this book is saying is that whether or not that's a burden for you, or whether or not that makes your life terrible, is in some ways up to you and the way that you see yourself. And if I mean, I think that that's a I, don't, <laughs> I think it's an important thing to keep in mind um, and certainly controversial, right? Like to, to blame the person for the way that they're feeling rather than to blame somebody else for the way that they're feeling. If he feels, if he feels terrible about his Chinese identity, it's only his own fault is, is one way to read this. Try and process it. <laughs> Because he's ultimately in control of it, right? Like, if he if he wants to reject this Chinese identity and say, no, uh, I'm that's not who I am, I'm going to perm my hair, and then that turns into this ultimate transformation into Danny, a complete rejection of, of who he truly is, that's when the stereotype becomes really damaging for him. And then as soon as he's able to recognize, you know what, this is a, this is a part of who I am, and I'm going to accept it as a part of who I am, then uh, the, 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 all of the bad aspect of that just sort of disappears, and he can sit and laugh with his friend, and his friend can speak Mandarin, and he can speak English, and they can go to this place called 490-whatever that has terrible Chinese food, and, in, and enjoy just life without the burden of identity being a thing anymore once he accepts it. That- I mean, that identity is still loaded into <laughs> that, that picture you just painted. Yeah. But it's, not but it's not a burden anymore. Yeah. And once he accepts it, it, it stops becoming a burden. And so whether or not, I mean, the stereotype exists regardless of whether he accepts it or not. But once he accepts who he is, then the stereotype and the, the negative the negative uh, vibes coming from society no longer affect him negatively. They lose their power over him. Yeah, they lose their power over him. And really, that I mean, they were so powerful, it was dictating his, his sense of self. Yeah. Uh, literally, in this case, because there's... Literally? Know, <laughs> How long literally? did you it for? <laughs> uh, listeners, uh, since we did our, our Parks and Rec episode, we've both been on a bit of a binge of Parks and Rec. <laughs> And literally is a catchphrase on the show. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's a it's an important thing that he's saying here about that once you once you kind of just settle down and stop trying to reject the the negative this negative message and saying no 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 that's not me that's not me that's not me. Uh, once you can just say yep. That's part of who I am, and uh, then it just it stops being a burden, and uh, Chinky goes away, and you get the cool uh, you get the cool Monkey King. <laughs> well, once again, Todd, uh, having an hour long discussion about a work has really deepened my appreciation of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really cool book. I really, I really, really enjoyed reading it uh, and thinking about it, and um, yeah, certainly we have not said the final word on identity. <laughs> Uh, but I, no, I, th- I just think it's really interesting that I've read this book more than once now, and I knew there's a lot there, but just having a, a good conversation about it fires off so many new areas of exploration and makes me appreciate why, uh, you know, Yang won a genius grant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say um, deserved. Yes. All right. Uh, I don't have any final thoughts. I think we probably need to wrap up this episode. Do you have anything you want to make sure we get in at the end? Nope. 
Okay, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review there. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, just a note about our back catalog. Uh, we switched up our format a bit at episode 13, so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode 99 when we discussed another American classic, Catcher in the Rye, <laughs> about uh, identity and a teenager struggling with life. Uh, or another great coming-of-age story, Danny, the champion of the world. Uh, links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter, at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really great discussions uh, there with our listeners, and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss. Or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking on the support link on our homepage or going to patreon.com slash protagonist. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. And just a reminder, it looks exactly like regular Amazon and costs you nothing more, but we get a small kickback from your purchase. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. Uh, okay. Uh, did we say who wrote it at the beginning? No. Okay. <laughs> That's my thought. I didn't no. write it in. We really can't start this all the way over if you want. I, I feel like we've been off. <laughs> I, I support you guys resetting this. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <clears throat>